just jumping in really quickly at the start of today's episode to tell you about some upcoming opportunities to see us live in the flesh. And you can see us live at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival 2024. We are doing three live podcasts on Sundays at 3.30 at Basement Comedy Club, April 7, 14 and 21. You can get tickets at dogoonpod.com. Matt, you're also doing some shows around the country. That's right. I'm doing shows with Saren Jaimana, who's been on the show before. We're going to be in Perth in January, Adelaide in February, Melbourne through the festival in April and then Brisbane after that. I'm also doing Who Knew It's in Perth and Adelaide. Uh, details for all that stuff at mattstewartcomedy.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome aboard another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky and I am sitting across from a man named Mr. Matt Stewart. Hello, Matt. Hi, Dave. How's it going? It is good. Uh, good. Oh, I asked how's it going and I wasn't going to give you a space. How's it going? Ever. It is good to be here. How's it going? It's good from where I'm sitting. Hopefully it's good from where you're sitting as well. Hey, Dave, can I uh, stop you right there? Absolutely. Sorry to touch your lips like that. Um, <laughs> oh, my lips are now my sealed. Extended pointer finger. You'll probably have a more correct, scientifically correct word for that biologically. Oh, the index finger. Index finger, thank you. Is that, okay. But I'll stop you right there. <laughs> oh, sorry, the index finger's back. Uh, I'd love to uh, introduce you to a very good friend of mine, one of my best. Oh. I'm a very big fan of this person. Yep. It's Jess Perkins. Please make oh. her feel welcome. <laughs> She's <laughs> here every week. Please make her feel welcome. I feel like doing a round of applause, but that would sound less welcoming Please than no it. applause. Yeah. Please do it. Jess Perkins, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, Isn't that terrible? Uh, no, I love it. How are you, Jess? I'm pretty good. How are you? I am good now, but just to give us a bit of uh, insight into our personal <laughs> lives, we just uh, enjoyed a delicious Indian curry meal together. We did. Yeah. Two types of curry, one type of rice, and it was way too much rice. Yeah, it we was had too a much cute rice. little do go on family dinner. Yeah, it was nice. It was delightful. Mm-hmm. It was good. I ate. I, I got there. I ate very slowly, but we we got to you the You did food. well. You ate like a big boy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. You were so, like, during the meal, you were stopping me from joking about how <laughs> slowly he eats. Mm. But on mic. Oh, I'll rip into anyone. No, that's the thing. It's a real waste because I'm, I'm quite maternal, but I don't think I want kids. It's a real waste. I don't know if that's a waste. Nah. So you right. can just mother the world. 
We are the world. You know what you can do? I heard of this recently. Mm. I think maybe it was even on a another podcast. <gasps> you listen to other podcasts? Yeah, I listened to Dave Warnicky <laughs> on. Maybe it was no, it was, I don't know what it was. Anyway, I heard this. Um, I heard this term mum splaining, and that's where like a guy, a dad is out with their kids, and they may be like feeding them or mm. doing some changing a nappy or something, and then a mum or you know a stranger will come up and say. Everything okay here? I find that it's actually oh, easier to... what? <laughs> but yeah, that's really interesting. Apparently that happens a bit. It's like I, I kind of like the fact in some ways that there is one little thing out there that men get patronised about because it, it oh, often goes the other way. Like mansplaining is, is just across the yeah. whole board. So mumsplaining is just But I little... do hate that too because I hate when um, people assume like the dad is the inferior parent. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, not the case at all. I mean, in the case in my family, but not in all. So. Not necessarily. Well, to be on the... I mean, statistically, sure. <laughs> well, to jump on the other side of the fence here, I, as someone who is terrible at doing nearly everything in their life, practical tasks, I mean, I would love it if someone came up and said, hey, mate, that's not how you grill a grilled cheese sandwich. What? I'd love that. If they came up and... Hey, really? Things got explained to me. But even if you were doing a fine job and you... Well... When it comes to grilled cheese, I'm not doing a fine job. What about this? This is how do you fuck up grilled cheese? All right, so we've got an electric. I don't even know what that's called. What's it called? Stove. See, that's how bad I am at cooking. Oh god! Electric stove. I've never had one before, and uh, apparently it takes a long time to heat up. And I had the grilled cheese on there for ten minutes, not not doing anything, like it wasn't melting at all. And then I come back a couple of minutes later, it's just burnt. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't don't leave it for that long. Yeah. And if I'd been doing that in a park and a mum had come up, I'd have been like, thank you, mum. Well, yeah, I don't know if the mum's needed... That's, <laughs> just, that's just parenting, I think. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> what I'm saying is I need help. Apparently- <laughs> <laughs> it's a cry for help, I'm sorry. Right. There, there is an extension from that as well. So there's, like to go with that analogy of, of the cheese instead of the parenting, that also there will be... <laughs> Mum, mums might go up to the dad and they'll say, and he's just like say feeding the baby a bottle, and they'll be like, "Hey, good on you. That's it's really great to see." It's like, um, just doing the bare minimum of what a, being a parent oh, is is so just it's like not the mother of the child, just no, a no, random yes. lady. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I think, I think you meant the mums coming and going, "Thanks for hel- helping out," and you're like, "The wife should never thank him." <laughs> no. Yeah, oh, no, 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 strangers, yeah, that, just yeah, strangers, strangers saying, that, oh, aren't you good? That, good on you." So if you're doing the grilled cheese and a stranger just comes up to you in the park with your electric stove, <laughs> you go, taken hey, to good on you, park. mate. Cooking for yourself. Well done. I'd, I'd love if I was eating... Who's a, a big boy? I'd love if I was eating a banana in a park and a mum came up and said, fruit, good choice, and kept walking. Oh, actually, yeah, that'd be sick. That'd be so I'm, good. Thanks. Yeah, I, don't, I actually, I don't mind. I don't. Depends on how they do it, but interesting. I found it, I just, I'd never heard the term mumsplaining. I quite like it. I quite like that too. I, for when you said mumsplaining, I thought it was just the, uh, the unnecessary over-explaining like my mum does. Like, what's for dinner? And she talks about something that happened in 1973 and you're like, oh my God, mum. And do they, do they ever say things like, I've been around conversations where a couple of parents are talking, you know, and you're around for dinner at someone's house and they'll be telling you a story about their uncle or something. Mm. And I'll say, um, He's he was gay by the way, and anyway, so he it's a and little, it's hang, so irrelevant, or, or just yeah, uh, yeah, and he was a dentist uh, by the way, yeah. Both of those things happen in the same conversation once to me. <laughs> it was a gay dentist, but but one at the like, time, neither of those things was, was it was it a gay dentist? Or was it, he was gay. Moving on. Oh, he was also a dentist. Yeah, and neither time did it affect the story in any yeah, way. Yeah, it had nothing to do with it. Was it? I mean, great. That's 
What I find with my mum is she'll she'll start to ask a question and I know what she's asking, so I'll answer her. But then she still finishes. Yeah. Like, um, what time is the seven uh, thirty show tonight? And you're like, I've already told you. Hi. Sweet Jesus, come over here and I will strangle you to death. Oh, really? Yeah, I get quite aggressive. I I, I hear that. I don't. She's super cute. Nobody touches her. She's hey. the best. Hey, only if you're going to touch her, touch her with hugs and love. I try and then she says, get off me. Personal space, Jess. That's true. I do that all the time. I climb on her. Jeez, you're hot and cold with your mum. I really hey. am. Zero to 60, they call me. Oh, miles or kilometres? Temperature. Oh. <laughs> Celsius or Fahrenheit? Fahrenheit. Oh, that's not that warm. <laughs> I'm all. pretty cold still. You've got, Even yeah, when I'm hot, I'm cold. Low range. I hope your report will be hot today, which is what we're all here to do, is that for you to just to research a topic and report back to Matt and I. Mm-hmm. And how are we doing? How are we looking? Fine. We're looking A-OK. No problems here. <laughs> all right. Your reports are always of the finest quality. Yes. Thanks, Ringo Starr. Oh. I, wasn't, I, I didn't even mean to be doing an accent there. You just slipped your, into Your reports are all... Oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, dear. Not well, bad. It's Ringo pulling out of an impression of himself. Uh, Jess, what have you got for us? Okay, well, we always start with a question. Yes, And I have thought out my question really thoroughly. Yeah, I know, I, I know you were saying earlier that you started with the question and then you <laughs> yeah. built a report around it, so yeah, it should be... Pretty rock solid. Which makes sense. So... Oh, no, that's the opposite of what you said. <laughs> I just added this a minute ago because I feel like sometimes the questions are uh, going to feel a little bit too obvious, but we'll have a bit of a go and see if you can uh, see if you can guess. So, my question to you is... What's wrong? <laughs> no need to mumsplain the question there, Jess. <laughs> no, please do go on. Um, who do you think is the most influential... <sighs> yeah. Group of comedians? Um, uh, is it... Uh, oh, I was researching the Friars Club today. Do you know the Friars Club of New York oh, City? I, I'm, yeah, that rings a bell. Oh, they, like a, a lot of, they organise a lot of the celebrity roasts oh, uh, the over 100 yes. years. Yes, and yes. In an episode of Seinfeld, Jerry gets to go to the Friars Club and then um, he to go in there you have to wear a jacket and then a performer takes his jacket. Anyway, that's just that's yes, it's called the yes, Friars Club. Totally, yeah. I uh, but I was that. thinking what about, today, is that not it's what it is? not the Friars Club. Is it the Melbourne open mic comedy scene? It is. I will be doing a report on my peers and I will be ranking them. <laughs> <laughs> From one to two hundred and seventy nine. <laughs> is it Oh, is it just the Melbourne International Comedy Festival? No, that would be Wait, what, what, broad topic. What, what, was it the group? Influential yeah, that's the, that's it, a big key. Is Influential it the group. Oh no. Well, Cambridge but, Cambridge Footlights. Yeah. But it kind of came from that. Okay. Uh, then I'm guessing. Oh, is it the uh, the Goon Show? Oh, they also worked alongside them, but no. Yeah, the Goon Show came just before Monty Python. Yeah, yes. I love Monty that's Python. That's an awesome. That's an awesome topic. Are you a Monty Python fan as well? I like them. I I always feel weird about the fan thing. I feel mm. like I don't know enough to call myself a fan. Sure. Unless you mean liking them. Yeah. If well, you mean if liking you them, them, then I'm a fan. But I don't. I'm not a like a full-on knowing everything about him kind of guy. Yeah, no, I don't think I'm really like that either. And I don't even, you know, I think you've got to be realistic. I'm, I don't love every single thing they've done because they are very absurd, right, and like out there and wacky. But I, a lot of their stuff I very much enjoy. Sometimes they are really quite silly. They're very, aren't they? <laughs> Just a... 
a tad. Just a bit bloody silly. No, I think they are very funny, and I would agree that they are definitely some of the most influential comedians. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And like one of the, I think um, in Amer- American comedy, because, you know, you listen to a lot of American comedians talk and stuff, and they they n- are normally influenced from the inside, like American mm-hmm. comedians influencing Americans. But one of the names that comes up a lot um from outside of America would be Monty Python. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I was watching like a documentary on YouTube about them and lots of Americans were interviewed about them. Um, even like Jim Carrey as well. I remember watching an, an interview with Jim Carrey. Robin Williams was talking about them. Jim Carrey technically Canadian, but I guess that Canadian. is Canadian. Well, North so is America. Mike Myers. Continental. Sorry. What a, what a... I find it so annoying when people pull other people up on bullshit things. And I did it to be funny, but it wasn't funny. It was just annoying. I believe Mike Myers is also Canadian. That's why I said speaking. You just oh, said that, you piece of shit. I was doing the, uh, doing the volume just the mate. Loud enough. <laughs> okay. Just off, off mic here. You, well, on mic, but off the record. No, I'll, I'll be louder. So, I've broken it up into uh, like almost like a timeline, I suppose. I'm going to look at their origin. Great. And some of their TV and film work. And then what, are they, what have they done beyond Okay, just a little, like a little index of what we've got coming up. Is That's it an awesome. index at the start or index is at the back the of the book? index at the back, I think, with the glossary. Glossary. You want the, co- the table of contents. Table contents of contents. is the word. Yep. That's what you just got there. And then it wouldn't be a Jess Perkins report. <gasps> Without. Fun facts. Just prefacing, again, what we have to look forward to. I so, love that you outlined. It's like a proper lecture, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I didn't mean to. This is what will be covered today. Time for questions at the end. Please hold them. I was wondering why you were standing at that lectern, but that makes sense. BYO lectern. And why we're in a lecture theatre with 250 uh, Melbourne University students. I hope students. it's not too echoey. So in the early to mid-60s at Oxford U- University, history student Michael Palin met English student Terry Jones. Meanwhile, over at Cambridge University, another English student, Eric Idle, met law student John Cleese and medical student Graham Chapman. So you look at... Uh, they've got a, f- a fair broad range there, don't Sounds they? Sounds like bloody tism. Doesn't it? What were, they, what were their specialties, though? No, I don't know. They sound like very educated dudes. Yeah, yeah, and like a real mix there. So you've got a couple of English students, you've got uh, history, law, and medicine. I think medicine being the least useful. Meanwhile, um, Terry Gilliam was studying political science at the university in Los Angeles. Ever heard of it? Probably. It's a, yeah, it's got a... Known as LA. Quite a well-known... The city of angels. Yeah, does yeah. that ring a bell? Um, so working together in uh, in various sort of sketch groups and uh, comedy troops at, across both universities, um, it sort of led on to John Cleese got a role on at last the nineteen forty eight show, um, and following the success of uh, of a program that the others were on, so the others were all on a program called um, Do Not Adjust Your Set, which was like a tea time children's program. It's <laughs> um, funny, isn't it? Yeah, and it was kind of cool because they said that. Um, because uh, it was on at about 5.25 in the evening, so they had this weird crossover audience of, like, kids, but also parents or, like, adults coming home from work. So they were they were really fucking about and being very, very silly. Silly boys. And they were being silly boys. It's great when you watch uh, something like a, a kid's show, like Play School Back Now. They make mistakes and stuff, but they just do it all in one take, and they laugh with each other. When you're a kid, you don't notice that kind of stuff. Yeah. But sometimes they look at the camera like, you see that? Anyway... Well, I stuffed up that cardboard thing. Anyway, let's start singing. Like, and they sort of laughed with each other. How often are you watching Play School now? I'm trying to cut back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm weeding myself off. Sure. I'm four nights a week. I used to be five. Yeah, sure. Four. 
Um, following the success of their program, um, Do Not Adjust Your Sets, uh, ITV, the, the network, offered Gilliam, Idol, Jones and Palin their own late-night adult comedy series together. So they're in, like, early to mid-20s. And so, so this is Terry Gilliam's being given a go as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he sort of joined them. He he came across and was writing for um, Do Not Adjust Your Set. Well, not writing, but he was doing, like, all the animations oh, and Oh, cool. Stuff. So he's already got his sort of weird style. He's the guy that does yeah. the animations, yeah. Terry Gilliam. Yeah. There's so, videos on YouTube of him teaching you how to do it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I remember I was watching a documentary and, and Michael Palin was saying like what impressed him most about Gilliam's work was his comic timing. Like it's uh, quite basic animation, I would say. Like he says that, but I couldn't do it, so it can't be that. I can't. And do also, this was done fifty years ago, so yeah. it's, you know, it's easier. You probably could do it yourself now, but probably not back then. Probably not yeah. back then. So he was like very talented, but his timing and stuff was very very funny. Um, and so they were offered their own late night show, which was awesome. But uh, the network had said, uh, you, "You've got to wait about eighteen months until we can give you a studio." Like there was no, there was no time for them, so they Crazy. had to wait about eighteen months. But at the same time, Graham Chapman and John Cleese were offered a show by the BBC. Um, the BBC had been impressed by their work on the Frost Report and at last the nineteen forty eight show. So. Um, John Cleese was apparently quite reluctant to do a two-man show for various reasons, um, including Graham Chapman's supposedly difficult and erratic personality. Apparently, loose unit. Bit of a loose unit. I think this is sort of in the early stages of his um, alcoholism. Yeah, yep. he's, he's um, trouble with booze. <laughs> also, if there's only two of you, myself. that's two people have to write half an hour a week. That's really a lot of... Yeah, so it's like a lot of... It's a lot more pressure, so you bring other people on board. So... Um, he brought basically he brought Palin on um, because they knew each other, um, having worked on How to Irritate People, which was like a, another program they were working on. So they've worked on yeah, so many shows. Yeah, and these are like well, a lot of these are also um, like radio. They did a lot of radio plays. Um, they wrote for shows. They weren't always the performers. They did a lot of writing. Um, so he in- he invites Palin to come along, who brings um, Terry Jones and Eric Idle and Terry Gilliam with. He's him. like, all right. You can have me, but I'm a package. It's yeah. me plus four or nothing. I'm bringing the rest of the gang. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they brought along Gilliam as well to do all the animations and stuff like that. And when it came to, like, their actual writing process, you may you may know this, but, like, apparently Eric Idle always wrote alone. He wrote by himself. John and Graham wrote together. Terry G, he animated alone, obviously. Just worked alone. It's just his personality. Yeah, he just liked to animate alone. And uh, Michael Palin and Eric, and sorry, and Terry Jones wrote together. So they had their little, their little groups, their little writing partnerships that kind of worked for them. And what I really like is that they um, they had a very definite idea about what they wanted to do with their series. So they um, they admired the work of of acts like Peter Cook and Alan Bennett, Dudley Moore, um, and they'd worked on on the Frost Report, uh, and they enjoyed. Um, Cook and Moore's sketch show not only but also but one problem that they saw was that the um, like these programs had great sketches but the writers would sort of struggle to find a punchline funny enough to end on and that would kind of (laughs) so the comedy was missing yeah Your, your comedy is great. It just doesn't have any more jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoy your comedy, but it doesn't, it's not funny. Mm, it's like a dr- dramatic play, but we could wrap that up with a joke at the end. Yeah. If we just put it in a punchline. I don't know if you guys are mis- misunderstanding that on purpose or not, but that's not what it said. It said it was, they were very funny sketches. Uh huh. They just didn't have the big, the big bang laugh at the end. 
Oh. It was before the days where you could just, you know, drop some dubstep at the end and move on. <laughs> Thinly veiled stab at our very good friends, Auntie Donna. <laughs> no, they, they, those guys have great punchlines. And those great are... dubstep. Oh, yeah, fucking nice. And rock and You should bods. go see them at the comedy festival if that's not over yet. It is not. It's not over yet, Perfect. but they've probably sold yeah, it out. They yeah. <laughs> well, you should watch their DVDs. Yeah, because they're amazing. Anyway, um, so like they were saying that their sketches were good, but the lack of hilarity kind of distracted from the overall quality, right? So they decided... <laughs> that that's, I know, that's it's nasty. pretty brutal, yeah. That's nasty. You understand, though, don't oh, you? Oh, yeah, no, totally. Do I need to explain it again? If just one more time. Okay, so it's funny... Yeah. But it's not funny enough. It's not far ha ha oh, funny. Not ha ha funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's gentle. It's gentle funny. It's like <laughs> kind of funny. That's but they kind of the make sketches that. that I write. I, I love it, writing a gentle sketch, <laughs> even a sad one. Yeah, I love a sad sketch. Yeah. Mm, some of the best. Ugh. So the Python boys decided that they would not bother to cap their sketches in the traditional manner. So in early episodes of Flying Circus, um, which is the series that they, they sort of went on to make, um, they make great play of this abandonment of the punchline. So like in one scene, um, Khalees turns to Idol as the sketch descends into chaos and remarks, this is the silliest sketch I've ever been in. And they all resolve not to carry on and just walk off the set. Yeah. So like they broke that those sorts of barriers a lot. That's very clever. Looking at someone else and thinking, your sketches are great, but it's not that funny at the end. Yeah. Instead of just making it funny at the end, which is obviously very difficult. It is fucking They're just abandoned ship. They're just... Maybe not impossible, it's very hard to do yeah. that consistently. But then, and then also making the abandonment funny. Very yeah. good. Yeah. But they took that, so now no one else can really use it. Jerks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's very Python-esque. What, just because they invented it and I'm basically ripping it off? Then, yeah, sure. Yeah, I guess so. Whatever. Anyway, just going to go on with my funny walk sketch and good day to you, sir. <laughs> I love that funny walk sketch, though. My funny walk sketch? Yeah. Thank you. I believe you mean silly walks. No, Mistrips. mine's the funny walk sketch. Oh, of course. Very good. Yeah, you haven't seen Matt's funny walk sketch. <laughs> oh, I think I have. It's just him walking, to be honest. He's got a funny <laughs> walk. <laughs> He bounces a lot as he walks. It's, Look, I, I, it's I unsettling. It's not a. I wouldn't say it's a rip off. It's more of an homage. <laughs> oh, it's a what? An homage. And you have a certain je ne sais quoi. <laughs> I guess you could say. It. I don't know. It's up to you. If you want to get technical. Dave <laughs> <laughs> tried. If you want to get a technical. <laughs> Technicale. Oh, fuck. Would have been way better. Weren't you teaching yourself Spanish or something? Spanish? See. <laughs> anyway, they're working together and, and trying to figure out what sort of style they're going to create. And uh, Terry Jones remembered an animation that Gilliam had created for Do Not Adjust Your Set called Beware of the Elephants, which had intrigued him with its stream of consciousness style. So that's kind of how their style began because it was kind of a stream of consciousness. It was just it just kept going into nothing in a way and then different things would come in and change it and would go a bit nuts, much like a stream of consciousness. Oh. Yeah, there it is. They often used uh, one of Gilliam's animations to move from the closing image of one sketch to the opening scene of another, so they sort of used it as like a, a segue kind of. A transition. Yeah, exactly. Well, I 
Segway's probably better, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> Do you see how he tried to mum explain that to you? Yeah. What's the difference, Dave? Was that worth correcting her about? I definitely regret it. <laughs> <laughs> Good decision. Well, no, I don't regret anything. I'm pretty great. Uh, they they treated writing like a nine to five job, so their approach was quite democratic. And if the majority found an idea humorous, it was included in the show. I quite like that. That is cool. Mm. I mean, it's a, it does sort of seem like it should be how it is, but I imagine when you're working in a big group, it can be very challenging. Okay, but if you're working on your own, which two of them are, yeah, you've got to convince more because you obviously find it what funny. An but if you're in a point. you're yeah. in a duo, you've got two already. Otherwise they might have that's formed a coalition. No, you're absolutely right, because John Cleese made the same point. He said he felt sorry for Eric, who was, like, riding by himself. Because it wasn't quite the same for Terry Gilliam, because, you know... Yeah, he, he, would, he was in. Yeah, but he would come with ideas, or they would say, this is what we're doing, and he would make ideas around that. Whereas Eric would be writing stuff, and if he couldn't convince them that it was fun, like, he's... Yeah, you're right. In a group of two, you've already got two votes. He yeah, you, was just you like, need just what, him. What, one more, and then you've got it? Well, maybe his, maybe his vote should have been worth two. Maybe, but I don't think they thought of that at the time. Apparently, hmm. one of them was a doctor, so obviously not a mathematician. Mathematician. <laughs> <laughs> mathematician. Very good. All right. You got relayed around the room, that one. <laughs> okay, so the casting of the roles for their sketches was also quite unselfish, I guess you could say, um, since each member viewed himself primarily as a writer rather than an actor. They weren't like oh, desperate for yeah. They weren't desperate for screen time. There was no divas fighting over it. They just kind of let it go, which is kind of cool. Um, and while the show was a collaborative process, different factions within Python were responsible for elements of their team's humour. It got to a point because when I was in Year Twelve, my Year Twelve drama solo had to have Python-esque comedy. So I watched a lot of Monty Python. Um, as research, Mum would be like, why don't you do your homework? I'm like, I am doing my homework, Mum. So what I was saying, though, was uh, it got to a point because I was watching so much Monty Python that I could identify who had written which bit because there's like there's certain styles that go with each sort of writing team, right? So um, the Oxford-educated members, like uh, Terry Jones and Palin, they were more visual, more fanciful, and, and uh, a, a, bit, a little bit more out there. So like the Spanish Inquisition, for example was one of theirs. Um, Ha-ha. <laughs> um, but the Cambridge graduates, so um, Cleese and Chapman who wrote together, they tended to be more verbal and more aggressive, which I think you can see in Cleese's performances. Um, more confrontational, where one character intimidates or hurls abuse. Um, <laughs> that's sort of their Just style. I think it's very funny, yeah. But it's true. Like you can you can start to think of sketches and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Whereas um, Eric Idle's characters were uh, like lots of verbal quirks and his were really language based so like the man who speaks in anagrams would have been him like he just um he was really wordy that what was that character of the not ah, wink say no more say no more nudge 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 wink wink that's a, that's a famous one that is a good one so I'm, I'm a very shallow say i haven't no i haven't more, say no more divin too deeply so what you divin like instead of um, divin like past tense of of dove dived Divin. Past tense of dove. That is a past tense but that doesn't exist. Yeah. I haven't. I'm very wordy as well. I'm a little bit like Eric Idle. Yeah, you, you definitely are. <laughs> you're the Eric Idle. Of, no, you're the Gilliam. Um, but please, Jess, do go on. Um, there were other names for the show. 
Did you know that? So when they, before no, they came up with the Flying it. Circus, they had some other options. What are they? Hit, it, hit me. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Owl stretching time. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So Monty Bath and Owl stretching time. Yeah. Matt's right? doing a Perkins. I love that it. was a three people think of a word. Yeah. And then go. And then away they go. Like finish the sentence. Uh, the toad elevating moment. No, nah, two words. No, nope. you wouldn't remember that. A horse, a spoon, and a bucket. <laughs> really? That's okay. pretty funny. Um, Vaseline review. <laughs> <laughs> My personal favourite is still number one. Owl stretching time. Bun, whacket, buzzard, stubble, and boot. Bit wordy. Too wordy. Uh, owl stretching time you're a fan of? Yeah, was that on the short list? I think it was. Fly, oh, what's oh, I still got more. Well, th- those are, no, those are, that's it. The Vaseline Review is my favourite. You like Vaseline Review? Yeah. I quite like a horse, a spoon and a bucket. <laughs> Out of the three of us, though, who would be the horse? What are you laughing at? My laugh there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who would be the horse, the spoon and the bucket here? Out of us three? Yeah. Ooh. As a kid, if I played Monopoly, I was always the horse. Okay, you could be the horse, spoon and bucket. As a kid, I often ate with a spoon. Mm. I shat in a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I wish I could keep a straight face. Well, she's laughing because laughing it's true. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody, hasn't everybody shat in a bucket? Tragedy plus I know time. I have. <laughs> Big time. Oh. Filled a bucket or two in my day. <laughs> oh, no, that's no good. But you are a horse. That oh, is awful. Just, I hate shit humour. All right. Just once I wish I could keep a straight face for a joke. Yeah, well... Right, so they had all those other options for names, but Flying Circus stuck because BBC had printed that name in their schedule and were not willing to amend it. <laughs> so did they even think of it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, so they did. The yeah, yeah, was... They went through and went, well, we're not going to call it Vaseline Review. Yeah, and there's all, sorts of, um, uh, there's all sorts of theories as to where Monty Python came from. Like, I couldn't even really find a... Ah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I couldn't even find a proper... Like reason, there was too many different ones, but there's a few. Oh theories. wait, so they were. As in sorry, the, I was thinking they were the names for Flying Circus. So they, that was decided. It was Monty Python's Flying Circus. Yeah. They weren't called Monty Python yet. Yeah, they weren't. All oh, right. That's so the, cool. the show itself was called Monty Python's Flying Circus. They weren't as a group called Monty Python. Right. I didn't realize that. That sort of came later after. Well, they, that makes sense because this is the first thing they did together. Yeah. Um, but they sort of like later when they worked on other projects, they they kind of dropped the flying circus but kept Monty Python, so that became their group name. Yeah. But at first, I think it was just all part of it. So, oh, I'm also I always thought they'd chosen the Monty Python part. So they were just going to be called and known in history as the Vaseline Review. Yeah, or <laughs> God, that's funny now. But, but they would have dropped the review after that show and just, just been called Vaseline. the Vaseline. And then the, be like, lawsuits. The Vaso Boys. And then Vaso Boys. In, you, you'd be doing comedy like that and you'd be like, well, it's a bit Vaseline-esque, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Jess, we're going to need you to do some Vaseline-esque. Vaseline-esque. But, but French. Solo. French, French Vaseline-esque. French Vaseline-esque, please. Oui. And go. Oh. oh, my lips, oh. they are so chapped. <laughs> well, I'm super offended by are all you? of that. Yeah. Why? Because you have chapped lips and you've got a French background. Yes, exactly, Dave. Bit of sensitivity, please. Well, let's do a Monty Path and not wrap this up and move on to the next bit. Yeah, he's learning. Fuck you, Matt. Anyway, the first episode of Monty Python's Flying Circus was broadcast on the 5th of October 1969. Apparently, not to the most impressed audience. They did have a live studio audience. Um, <laughs> so even though... Because when you do TV, you put it out there and you 
you're like, well, I wonder if people will like it. But you're doing the show in front of an audience that are hating it, and then you know that it's going to go to like times a hundred thousand. Exactly. This. And have you been to any live tapings of comedy shows? Yes, I've been to a few. Like uh, I went to a few of the late shows in America and stuff. Mm. And every live comedy show I've ever seen, they're like, just laugh, even if you don't get it, laugh. As a letterman, they're like, laugh. Yeah. You'll get it on the way home. Just laugh now, otherwise you'll regret it later. Just laugh That's at everything. So if what a line! If oh, man, I'm going to say that side of my comedy festival <laughs> show. If you think it's a joke, just laugh. If there's a pause, laugh. Just laugh. Please laugh. Wow. And they just like, yeah, everyone laugh, and then let's all practice a laugh. And then do wow. they do a, a setup where they just go and go, and then everyone just goes. Ah, <laughs> uh, maybe I might be making that sound more fucked than it was. That might have been applause and stuff. They do that. Yeah, they do that for applause and stuff. But like, I I wrote for a community TV show that was filmed in front of an audience. Yeah. And when you're really proud of your jokes, and like the producers have laughed really hard during the uh, during the rehearsal, and then you do it in front of an audience and get like a, <laughs> it's like oh okay. I I'm going to rethink all of my life choices. I think I, b- I bombed some of your writing on that show one time, didn't I? Yeah, you did. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's okay. So they're doing it in front of a live, live audience. The writing was very strong. Thank you. It was definitely the performance in that case. Yeah. But in Thank this you. case, they can't blame anything because they've written it and, and they're performing it. Exactly right. You can blame the fuckhead audience. They weren't ready for it. You know what they like? Can I guess well in history now you can blame them because clearly it's pretty great because we're still talking about it. Yeah, yeah but was it? I think to just be confronted with that with no context, you would be like, "What yeah. the hell is?" And it was so different to anything else that was being done. And also, sketch comedy is very hit and miss. I don't know if you guys know that. Back to Python, are they pretty upset that their show is not going so great? I think they were a little disappointed. Yeah, in an interview, like Michael Palin said, he remembers like so they all went to like the bar because it was again it was like a late show, so it was I think it was on nearly eleven p.m. It was quite late, and they sort of had um, drinks at the bar, and a lot of their friends were like, oh, just got a, just got a, <laughs> just got a run off, just got to get a oh. get babysitter, and he was like, you don't even have kids, like just people go- not wanting to hang out, and ghosted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so man. it was it was a bit awkward, but so you, you, brutal, brutal, right? But they kept going. They just kept going, and they actually um, ended up doing fairly well. Obviously, as you can, uh, as we now know. Um, yeah, I mean they've been honoured here today. Exactly, and it, once you've made it onto a podcast, I mean, what more is there? Well, this is the final chapter. Yeah, yeah. we're closing the I book. You're going to have to recap this in the recap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll get to that. That's in fun facts. Okay, great. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was wondering why you were writing still with one hand. Yeah, I'm, I'm recapping. Yes, um, in an April episode of uh, Do Go On podcast, the Monty Python were mentioned. So they uh, Flying Circus, the show, kind of popularised um, a few different styles, such as like a cold open. So like when an episode would start without traditional opening titles or announcements. So they used to do one that was like the It's Man. So um, Palin would like make this huge journey across really difficult terrains, finally get to the camera and go, it's, and then it, the, it would cut him off and it would be the, <laughs> the title sequence. Right? It was like this really long drawn out and then they'd cut him off. Um, That's fantastic. I love a cold open. Oh, great. Good stuff. Mm. I love a good cold open. I love a cold hour, which is what I often deliver. I like a cold shower. I like a mold flower. <laughs> I like a bold cower. That's when you cower boldly. Oh. That's like an oxymoron. Does, yeah, that sounds... <laughs> I, I'll do it. 
I'll show you. Okay. Okay. Well, oh, yeah, yes. He's doing My it. word. Good heavens. Thanks. Holy moly. Very good. That was... I'll, I'll take it up to ten. Oh, oh too much. I can't even look at it. <laughs> God, my eyes are burning. What's Sorry about that, guys. Nice? I'm back. They also, uh, they disliked finishing with punchlines. You know, that hack move. <laughs> so they experimented with ending the sketches by cutting abruptly to another scene or an animation, or they'd walk off stage, or they'd address the camera, known as breaking the fourth wall in the industry, if you're in it. Uh... I think that is probably, that is my favourite kind of segue, is like an anti-punchline or a... Just break it. Break it, or, yeah. Yeah. Walking between the two, like if they just roll into the next sketch. Yeah, I think it's clever. When it's done well, I reckon that's that is my favourite kind of transition, as Dave would say, or segue, as, as Jess Perkins would say. Mm, thank you for giving me a surname there. Or uh, or just midi bit, as I would say. A midi bit. Another type of midi bit that they would use would be just introducing a totally unrelated event or character. So um, <laughs> the best example of this was uh, the use of Chapman's anti-silliness character, the Colonel, (laughs) who would walk into sketches and order them to stop because things were becoming far too silly, which I love. I love that it's like a Colonel and he's like (laughs) telling them off like naughty kids. It's the best. Um, Another favourite way of ending sketches was to drop a cartoonish 16-ton weight prop (laughs) on one of the characters when the sketch seemed to be losing momentum. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or a knight in full armour, played by Terry Gilliam, would wander on set and hit characters over the head with a rubber chicken <laughs> before cutting to the next scene. You know, because they're just like, okay, well, what makes sense here? None of this. Excellent. Good. A knight with a rubber chicken. Fair enough. I, I guess that doesn't make sense. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Why is he holding a rubber chicken? Why not a sword? I mean, I hadn't really thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I see that now. Um, yet another way of changing scenes would be when John Cleese, um, usually in a dinner suit, would come in as a radio commentator and in, a, in, a, in his pompous manner make a formal announcement and now for something completely different, which later became the title of the first Monty Python film. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. If it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, not in a way that's like, oh, my God, it's expanding, like physically. It's growing more customers, more interest, not like it's going to explode. Yeah, not like it's a building that's like blowing up and it's all, what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. And I don't think they mean for marriage. You can sell your products on an online store, whether you sell physical or digital products or you offer services like massage or oh. nails. Oh, my gosh. Or uh, consulting. Should we, after this, get Manny Petties? <laughs> Babe, I've already booked us in. <laughs> um, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. You know, what about blogging tools, you yeah. might be asking? I like to blog. I love to blog. I like to blog. I like to vlog. Yes. Well, Squarespace has powerful blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. 
You can categorize, you can share and schedule to make your content work for you. Scheduling is the best. Oh, it looks like Jess has just uploaded something. What it, but it's like 3 a.m. in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the exact time I wanted to do it in New York City, baby. Capture that New York market. Yeah. You mentioned vlogging as well. If you're into vlogging, you can organize your video library, showcase your content on beautiful video pages, sell access to your videos with member areas. The possibilities are endless. Now head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, So over the next four years, they produced four series of the show, 45 episodes, um, and despite the success of the show, because they actually ended up doing quite well, um, John Cleese left the group at the end of the third series. He says he felt as if they were repeating themselves and that he and Graham had only written two truly original things in the last in that, in that final third season. And they did another one without him. They did another one sort of without him. So a few, he was still credited as a writer, I think, on um, like three of the episodes. They were, they were given 13, but they only did six. Because they were like, we've run only, out, we've run only out. got enough for six. Right. Yeah. So they kind of agreed with him. Yeah, I guess so. I guess they must have. Um, and so uh, he was also apparently finding it difficult to work with uh, Graham Chapman, who was at that point in the full throes of his alcoholism. Um, and according to an interview with Idol, Eric Idol, he said, uh, it was on an Air Canada flight on the way to Toronto when John turned to all of us and said, I want out. Um, why? I don't know. He gets bored more easily than the rest of us. He, he's a difficult man, not easy to be friendly with. He's so funny because he never wanted to be liked. That gives him a certain fascinating, arrogant freedom. Yeah. Isn't that great? Like, it's brutal, but I, I like. like that brutal honesty. Like, he's mm. he's a hard person to be friendly with. Also, I imagine that um, it would be just great if he was on a different part of the aeroplane to them. He's in business class because he's so tall and they're out the back. True. And, I want out! I want out! He, just, he peeks through the curtain. <laughs> yeah. I want out! Or just gets a hostess to... Could Can you, you just give travel? a message to those guys yeah. back there? I want out. Send them a bottle of champagne as well. Yeah, go on. But Hands them a message, DB Cooper style. <laughs> Little note. What a throwback. What a throwback. Um... So, yeah, the, the series Flying Circus kind of fell apart, but that led on um, to them working on larger projects. So I've got a little list here of their films. Can you name their, all their films? Yeah, I reckon. Uh, how many are there? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. There's okay, Life so... of Brian. Uh, there's Holy Meaning Grail. of Life. Holy Grail. And now for something completely different. Oh, they're there. The uh, Live at the Hollywood Bowl? Yeah. Oh, okay, that counts. Yeah, bang, exactly. Obviously. So, and now for some... said, yeah. <laughs> Wait, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. I think there is six. Live at the Hollywood Bowl is one as well, but I... Oh, oh we're in the name so five we missed, then. We Wait, one. no, no, no. No, you've named them all. Have I got it here? No, I don't. Oh, yes, I do have Hollywood Bowl here. <laughs> There's five. Well done, Perkins. I can read my own notes. Um, so first was, and now for something completely different, which is a collection of their favourite sketches from... Yeah, just recut from the TV show, Basically, it? yeah. So that came out in 1971. And then in 1975... Same year as D.B. Cooper was. I'm just saying. Sorry, pardon me. <laughs> in 1975, they, uh, they released uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So it which was... I think is the funniest movie I've ever seen. Yeah. I think it's... Uh... I was going to say I think it's my favourite, but I Life think Life of Brian. Brian's my yeah. favourite. They're, the, they're probably the 
the two big ones, right? Yeah, they'd be the two biggest ones, absolutely. So um, Monty Python, uh, sorry, the Holy Grail, obviously following the uh, the legend of King Arthur. Um, and apparently it only took five weeks to film. Smashed yeah. out in five weeks. After Holy Grail, um, a few years later, they released Life of Brian. Because um, apparently after, uh, or sort of on the premiere of Holy Grail, um, people were saying, what's the next one going to be? What's the next one going to be? And um, Were they freaking out? Because they're like, we just made this one. Well, that's exactly it. And Eric Idle made some smart-ass joke about Jesus Christ, a lust for glory, or something like that. He, said, he made some sort of joke, and then it became a long-running joke for them. So then they actually decided, instead of... N- none of them were religious, but they also didn't really see the point in just attacking a religion. So it's not actually about Jesus. It's about a guy who was born at the same time <laughs> yes. in like the... the um, um, and sort of lived a parallel life to Jesus, keeps getting mistaken for Jesus, right? So but it still caused so much fuss. Like uh, there was huge, uh, huge outcries from Christian communities against them. They were in a lot of trouble. Great film, though. Super funny. Did you watch the – there's a – I've seen this interview come up a bit on different specials and it's on YouTube in full, I think, where there's a like this kind of flamboyant – Bishop or something yeah. who's argues <laughs> against him and he's I think he seems a bit maybe he's a bit drunk and stuff. Yeah. And and John Clay's and that argue like really like just intelligently, yeah. but it's sort of it's just a, it's a bit of a mess. And it's just yeah. crazy to think how It's amazing. And it's to just watch. straw man argument after straw man argument. Yeah. And they and yeah, John Cleese and, and Michael Palin. Like John Cleese stays pretty calm and cool all the way through it. He said in an interview he didn't realise until later how angry and upset Michael Palin was getting, yeah. who's like, like, he's actually got a reputation as the friendliest man in Britain, but he was just getting very upset. Yeah. Um, and they're both being very sarcastic. and It was brilliant. It was, it's very funny to watch. Um, but the, the film was written entirely on holiday in Barbados. <laughs> Somebody had a house, like a friend what of theirs had a house. So they all went to Barbados and just wrote. That's cool. How cool is that? And it was filmed in Tunisia. Do you know that? I did not know. Uh, That's where it was filmed. Dave, Tunisia, what are the what are the surrounding states? It's in uh, northern Africa. Yeah. What borders Tunisia? It's uh, Dad, did you know Dave is very good with African geography? Is he? Mm. Capital of Tunisia is Tunis. <laughs> it's not a joke. I wasn't laughing, I was laughing oh, at right. you for being a nerd. It's next to Libya, Algeria. He's that... looking he's looking like he's got the picture in his head, so no, he's no, looking he's up looking at it. He's looking at a map. It's in northern Africa, so it's up near Egypt, but a little bit west. Oh, okay. I thought he was, I thought he was going to do better than that. It's not bad though. I said two countries is next door to. It's still yeah, better I'd have than no I could idea. Do, yeah. Like I don't know where anything. So do you know where it was? I knew it was in Africa, and I knew it was in Northern Africa, but I couldn't show you on a map of Europe where I've been. But if you, if, <laughs> okay. if I said North Africa and you said uh, no, it's um, it's in the Pacific Sea, I would have said. Yeah, fuck, all right. <laughs> yeah, if you'd said it's it's like an island off Tasmania, I'd be like, oh yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. totally, totally, that's cool. Whatever. It's in Tasmania. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the deserts of Tasmania. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that that's where sense. they filmed it. Um, right, so they've done that, and then the um, Monty Python Live at the Hollywood Bowl came out in 1982. That was obviously a live show that was filmed and then released. Yes, Matt. I was going to say before we move on from Life of Brian, yeah. the fact that I. I've heard a few people mention, I don't know, I think it's true, is that it was in a big way funded by George Harrison. Is that true? I've heard that as well. And he, he didn't real. or they didn't realise that he'd pretty much put... All his money on he, the line. Yeah, he was... Yeah. And they 
they didn't realize that and they found out that out later and were like they were glad they didn't because they would have felt so much more pressure yeah 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 that is that is correct former beatle george harrison did fund um mostly life of brian and he also had a cameo in the film. Oh, right. As as the owner of the mount. That was in my fun facts. Thanks oh, so much for ruining fuck. one of my fun facts. I that should, is fun. I though. should have probably thought. But no, I have a good one. It. And it ties in nicely with our Beatles, previous Beatles episode. But I have heard about him. They didn't realize him putting his money on the line. Like, yeah. yeah they how much? Because he's a Beatle that he'd have. Oh, he, they've got a billion dollars. Yeah. But there were, I think at the time or around the time of the Beatles, he wrote, he, George Harrison wrote a song called Taxman. And it was about. The current, I think it was about the current tax laws meant that they were paying something like ninety percent tax. What? So the Beatles were making a lot of money, but not necessarily not seeing a lot of it. Brutal. Um, but I, I like that he was in it. I can't. I haven't seen it in ages. But mm. it, like, if he's as I picture him, he would have. He wouldn't have needed much of a makeup artist or any sort of yeah. <laughs> to be the, of the time. Yeah. yeah, he just kind of blends in. Oh, that's a great film. Now I want to watch that. Yeah. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> Brilliant. That is really good. My recall of it is also excellent. I reckon I would have heard that uh, that phrase or that line a million times before I even knew that it was from. Yeah, definitely. Monty the other one that um that we say a lot in my in my uh, family is like. You are all individuals, and the whole crowd of people go, "We are all individuals." And then one little voice goes, "I'm not." Brilliant. That's very good. So good. And that is that the same with the. Uh, well, now we're just going to start doing lines, but the the uh, meek shall inherit the earth. What did he say? I think he said the yeah. Greek shall inherit the earth, <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> the yeah. cheesemakers? Yeah. Exactly. I assume they would have said something like that. The cheesemakers. <laughs> that sounds like you. I really <laughs> Very, You could have played one of the women. Oh, yeah. They all played their own female characters. There weren't. That's something that people don't realise. Back in the 70s, uh, there weren't many female actors, so they had to play all the roles themselves. <laughs> There weren't many. Women actors had not been invented yet. Yeah. They that's, hadn't. They were invented in the, in the late 70s. So they were nearly around. But nearly, but not quite. Technology hadn't quite caught up to their vision. <laughs> exactly. They tried a bit, but they just didn't look like women on film. Yeah, they don't look the same. Looked like They look like the robots. And we can't yeah. have that. We wanted an authentic look. It was yeah, the, that's right. The so they just Valley. put Terry Jones in a wig and it just had oh. the, the right look. And what a woman. What oh, a yeah. woman. So they did have their live show live at the Hollywood Bowl, which uh, was filmed and the... The film was released in 1982. And then in 1983, The Meaning of Life came out, um, which sort of documents a man's life from birth to death in in different chapters. Um, Crucially, this was the last project um, that all six Pythons would collaborate on. um, And what year was that? In the 80s? 83. Um, Except for uh, the 1989... Um, compilation Parrot Sketch Not Included, where they're all seen sitting in a closet for four seconds. So I think you can pretty <laughs> safely say that Meaning of Life was the last thing they all did together. And it was the last time that Chapman appeared on screen with, with the other Pythons. Um, in terms of like film stuff, each of the members, sort of after the group kind of um, split up, there wasn't, it wasn't like the Beatles where they had this big falling out. They just kind of all went their separate ways and and did other stuff. So um, they've all pursued various film, television, stage projects, um, but often continued to work with one another, like they'd sort of cameo in each other's work. So many of these collaborations were really successful, most notably A Fish Called Wanda 
1988, written by John Cleese, uh, which he starred in along with Michael Palin. It's very funny. It's great. I haven't seen it. I should check it out. Um, and the pair also appeared in Time Bandits, which was in 1981, which was directed by Terry Gilliam, who wrote it with Palin as well. And um, Time Bandit? I don't think I'm familiar with the yeah, time. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one either. That doesn't bode well. No, just... I mean, this was still 30 years before we were born, 20 years before we were born. Oh, right. Okay. Nope, 10 years. Okay. <laughs> Nine years. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, speaking of time bandits, <laughs> God, we went from 30 to 9 pretty quick. I never claimed to be the one who's good at maths. She didn't, Dave. I've never said it once. Dave? So, apologies, please. <laughs> it's my fault for being good at maths and geography. Oh, God. What am I good oh, at? Oh, bloody ringing his trumpet all of a sudden. What am I good at? No, really. What am I good at? Ah, uh, you're good. You're good at. You're good at. You're good at. Oh, you're good. Good at. Um, you're good oh, at. good at. I'm um, telling me how I shouldn't be cooking a toasted cheese sandwich. Yeah. Okay. All right. I am good at toasted cheese sandwiches. Okay. Yes, thank goodness. Hold on to it. You need it. So other stuff that they sort of collaborated on. Um, Michael Palin and Terry Jones wrote a comedic TV series called Ripping Yarns, which ran for three years between sixty-seven. Uh, sorry, seventy-six and seventy-nine. Oh, great, I didn't know that. that yeah, might be good. Yarns. Be a good one. In, in 1996, Terry Jones wrote and directed an adaptation of The Wind in the Willows. Have you seen that at all? I reckon I might have seen it. I loved in, it when I was a kid. In my kid years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it featured four members of Monty Python. So Terry Jones played Mr. Toad. He played it really well. Eric Idle was Ratty. Cleese was Mr. Toad's lawyer. And, and Michael Palin was the son. <laughs> what a role. Oh, the sun. I thought it was like not like S O N S U N. Oh, the sun. The yeah. sun. I am familiar. You are familiar. You know it. First names. Um, Biggest star in our solar system, Dave. Do you know that? That's a little geography fact for you. Nope, it's not. No, it is. Not, no, but it's not geography. I thought you were saying no. It's not the biggest, not the star. biggest star. You're the biggest star, Jess Perkins. Ah, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> So, in 2013, the Pythons lost a legal case to Mark Forrestator, the film producer of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, over royalties um, from for the derivative work Spamalot, which was a, right. like a big stage the play. Eric Idle. Yeah, Eric Idle did that. I was going to talk a little bit more about that later anyway. But um, so, over royalties in that, they owed a, a combined £800,000 in legal fees and back royalties. Oh, so they were trying to not pay the producer at all? Well, I th- yeah, well, I guess so. Like, he was sort of saying um, that Spamalot was derivative of Holy Grail, which it totally is. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. part of it. Yeah, it's, well, it's sort of a spin-off, for want of a better word. Right, so they, um, what they did to pay back their legal fees was they proposed a reunion show. <laughs> so they always are like, no, 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 we won't reunite. Oh, what, we have the, that big bill? Yeah, okay, we can probably do a show. Yeah. So on the 19th of November in 2013, a reunion show was reported following months of secret talks and the original plan was for a live one-off show at the O2 Arena in London on the 1st of July 2014 with some of Monty Python's greatest hits with modern topical Pythonesque twists, apparently. They're all very old by this point. Yeah. Like, this is only three years ago, so they're, like, in their early 70s. Yeah. So they don't they don't have the stamina for big these big live shows anymore, but... They they did it, and um, tickets for this show went on sale in November of 2013 and sold out in 43 seconds. What? How does that happen? 43 seconds. They're gone. 
Can you imagine if you I can't on... even type my credit card details in that quick. No, you'd be like... Yeah, true. You'd be like, sick, got them. Oh, no. I guess that, that counts. I must... Because they're, like, reserved and they you get time be. to do it. So I must count from when. But that is amazing. So everyone in straight away. And 43. That was... And what's that? It's, it's like a big stadium, like 20,000. Yeah, it's huge. 20,000 tickets in 43 seconds. Well, two more seconds, you could have sold out another arena. Would have made Jess yeah. feel a bit more comfortable. You know how she hates... An oh, odd number like I 43. do. 45 would have made me much happier. Thank you. Um, but we'll Round it up to a minute if you like. Yeah. Well, no, because then, no. 45 seconds is fine. But So then they added nine additional shows. Nine? Nine additional shows. All of them at the O2 and the last was on the 20th of July. So and I must, they all sold out too. They all sold. So 10 shows. Yeah. And are, am I remembering this right that um, they did like a live broadcast of cinemas around? Yeah, like there were cinemas I, re- in Australia I remember that too. I don't have the details of it, but I do remember that as well. Yeah, yeah I got a vague memory of that. Yeah, and I've got the DVD and I've watched it, and like the behind the scenes stuff's really interesting as well. Yeah, like I remember seeing them like getting changed and just yeah, old floppy. Boys. Are they having a good time? Are they? Oh, they just a good doing time. it for yeah, the money. They're, they're, no, they're definitely having. They're fun. fucking around a real bit. Yeah. They're hanging shit on each other. But I, I think they all kind of. I don't think they. Put, particularly get along. Yeah. Like, they're not really best mates. I, I don't think they ever found it that easy to work together. They just worked so well together. And then there was a comment in that as well from a few of them was sort of like, well, if John Cleese didn't come on board, it wouldn't have happened because, like, he... I think even Michael Palin was saying John Cleese was the star. Like, he was just such an engaging performer that without him, the whole thing wouldn't have worked. Right. Which is pretty... That's 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 kind of generous, I think. Yeah. Especially if yeah, if it's like that makes it sound like it's not a big group of egos, which I guess it must be on some level. It has to be, I suppose. Yeah. But that was just kind of interesting. Um, so I've got like a few notes on what each of them sort of did individually, and then I got some fun facts. Great, love it. We on board? Sticking yeah. to the contents. Appreciate it. <laughs> Happy to help. Um, so we'll start with John Cleese, who was my personal favourite. Apparently not the nicest person in the world, but. My favourite performer. Um, in terms of number of productions, Cleese had the most prolific solo career, having appeared in 59 films. Bloody hell. 22 TV shows or series. Um, 23 direct-to-video productions. Woohoo! <laughs> Six video games and a number of commercials. It's video Yeah, games. he often pops up in commercials, yeah, doesn't he? in some strange places. Like bank ads and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. It must be worth a million, million bucks to him or something, but wow. Yeah. I think yeah, because he, I think he's been married a couple of times, and I'm pretty sure he says that several one of those he kind of he regrets a bit because he had it, it cost him a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty short marriage, and it and he had to do a tour basically, like a yeah, it, an interview tour, and he and he called it the alimony. Alimony, tour. yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very good. So you remember things. I remember some things. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. So I think he's been married, I think four times. Um, so his BBC sitcom Faulty Towers, which he wrote with his, his then wife, wife Connie Booth, um, is considered the greatest solo work by a Python since the sketch show finished. It's the only comedy series to rank higher than The Flying Circus um, on the BFI TV 100s list, topping the whole poll. So Faulty, Faulty wow. Towers was numero uno. Oh, man, it's so great. It's amazing. It's so good. Like, it's we studied like... it in drama in year nine. Like, we, we watched Faulty Towers to learn comedy. And it's it's one of those your crazy shows. Pretty yeah, big, I will say, your really school's good. pretty big on um, Monty Python members. Must have been. 
Yeah. And they wonder why I turned out the way I did. (laughs) Very Python-esque. And bitter. Just a broken, bitter human. And married four times. Yeah, it's not good. Sorry, Matt, I cut you off. What were you going to say? I was going to say, it's. I, I think I've heard other people say this a bit, but it's one of those shows where you're like, if if I didn't know, I would assume that there were multiple seasons. I mean, there were two, oh, yeah. but I would have thought there would be more seasons and more episodes per season. Yeah. So many classic moments that it feels like it was, you know, it could be... 40 episodes, not 12 12. altogether. They just packed it all in. Um, Now, apparently, this is kind of cool. John Cleese apparently based uh, Basil Fawlty on a real person (laughs) who was called Donald Sinclair, who he encountered in 1970 while the Monty Python team were staying at a hotel in Torquay. uh, Which is where it was set. Yeah. Yeah. The TV show. So, reportedly, um, Cleese was inspired by Sinclair's mantra, I could run this hotel just fine if it weren't for the guests. <laughs> <laughs> and he later described Sinclair as the most wonderfully rude man I've ever met. Although Sinclair's widow apparently denied this, said he was totally misinterpreted. He was a lovely person. But um, <laughs> we apparently, you like, want to be the most famous like TV Jerk. wanker ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, during... But if he was being funny, saying, like, that's just a funny line. I used to say that when I worked at a supermarket. Fuck, this place would be much better without the the customers. It's quite derivative of uh, early John Cleese. I didn't realise that at the time. I feel like we came to that joke you know, On your own. 30 years apart. I don't think you did. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you stole it. Admit it. Admit it. Um, during the Python stay, Sinclair allegedly threw Eric Idle's briefcase out of the hotel in case it contained a bomb. <laughs> so good. And this guy's supposed to be normal. He's yeah. the best. He complained about Gilliam's American table manners and threw a bus timetable at another guest after they dared ask the time of the next bus. <laughs> Just threw a bus, at, a bus schedule at him. I love that. In 1999, John Cleese appeared in the James Bond film The World Is Not Enough. Oh, yeah, Q. Yeah, well, no, he was Q's assistant, referred to by Bond as R. And then in 2002, when Cleese reprised his role in Die Another Day, that's when he was promoted to Q. Because Robert Llewellyn had died. Ah. Sad. Who played Q initially, I guess. For 17 films, that's right. 17, that's a lot. A um, couple of fun little facts. There is a species of lemur named after him. <laughs> is that from like... Because there was like a lemur in, Fu- no, in Creatures? Dangerous? Fierce Creatures. Fierce Creatures. Yeah. And that's not why, but like he, he really likes lemurs. Yeah, so there's, right. a, there's a species of them um, referred to as Avahi Klesi. That's, oh, that's really great. How cool is that? Um, I think I'd like that in life. Yep. Oh, fuck yeah. He's, uh, he's... Oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you better believe it. In 1996, he declined a uh, commander of the British Empire award badge. <laughs> what do you get? That's he has an honour. Medal? That a, yeah. An, an, uh, what do you I, get for that? Yeah, so he declined that. Yeah, you probably do get like a medallion or like, often they get like a thing around the neck and a... Yeah. But he said no thank you. No thank you. I don't know why. No explanation why. He just said no thanks. Was it like John Lennon that time you told us? Maybe Where he mailed thing. it back or something? That's pretty great. No, he made no, his... He got his chauffeur. Yeah, he made his oh, driver right. take it back. Um, this is kind of fun. There is a rubbish heap of 45 metres in altitude that has been named Mount Cleese <laughs> just outside of Palmerston North after he dubbed the city Suicide Capital of New Zealand. 
So he like shat all over this this place in New Zealand. So they named a heap of rubbish after him. Oh wow! <laughs> I love that, but I also think he would secretly love that. I think yeah, he might even like that, good. like that more than the lemur. Yeah, everyone's absolutely. a winner there. He would yep. have really enjoyed that. Um, okay, now Michael Palin. So apart from Fierce Creatures, his last film role was a small part in The Wind and the Willows that I sort of mentioned earlier that Terry Jones had written. Um, and he did, obviously, what he's sort of now, known for now is a series of documentaries. Like He does a lot of travel, a lot of travel documentaries. His first one um, was uh, part of the 1980 BBC television series Great Whale- Railway Journeys of the World. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Strap yourself in. <laughs> up, upfield line. He, he travelled through the UK by train because, like, apparently as a kid he had a hobby of train spotting. So that seems pretty exciting. Then he also did Michael Palin around the world in 80 days. So he's done um, some other travel stuff, including pole to pole. <laughs> Again, it's his pole dancing adventures. Um, full circle with Michael Palin. Michael Palin's Hemingway adventures. Um, Sahara with Michael Palin, Himalaya with Michael Palin. So he started out slow with trains, and now he's gone to some really he's exotic gone, places. He's gone heavy. So yeah, he's done a lot of like uh, travel stuff, which is uh, which is very very cool. So it's mainly been his bag ever since. I think I'll just put it out there and say that he's probably my favourite. Yeah, the, I was gonna say yeah. In the I do like Palin. TV shows and movie sketches. Yeah, I like him a lot as well. It's bloody tricky. I don't know one. why we have to have favourites. No, like, we don't, you have, don't to. have to have but a favourite Beetle, you, but you yeah, claimed... I did say it, but. Uh, I regret it, but I don't because I love him. Anyway. Yeah, I'd probably have to say Cleese as well, I think. Mm. Who are we up to? Who's next? Terry Jones is next. Um, now, he this is what I didn't know. He wrote the screenplay for Labyrinth. Oh, I didn't wow, know that Wow, that's either. a really great claim. Yeah, it's I pretty good. I didn't know that. That is a fun fact Isn't before cool? we've gotten to the fun facts. Apparently his draft, though, went through several rewrites um, and that sort of thing. So much of the finished film was a little bit different. Still claim it. Still I, claimable. He didn't actually write the cod piece in. That was written in, in a later draft. <laughs> it wasn't requested by someone else. Yeah. Bowie himself. Cindy Scheinberg. Scheinberg. <laughs> what will we need? A little thing that I like to call a card piece. I'm modeling it now, and you can see how good it makes me look. <laughs> the fad of the 80s. Welcome, kids. Everyone's wearing card pieces. Yeah. And call the main character. I'm the Goblin King, Scheinberg. <laughs> Sydney! I'm Sydney, the Goblin King, Scheinberg. <laughs> Write it in. We need puppets. Kids love puppets. <laughs> Get Jim Hansen on the phone. Oh, I can't do the accent you guys. Dave does it much better. Jim Henson, I've got you on speed dial. I don't know why either. <laughs> I'm Jane Bird. Scheinberg's my favourite character. From of, Labyrinth. Of anything. Um, yeah, so he Terry Jones wrote uh, wrote Labyrinth. Um, what's kind of cool is he did a lot of like TV work as well. He wrote um, a series, like he wrote quite a few um, children's books and he also wrote Ripping Yarns with Palin that I sort of mentioned before. Um, he also did like a TV series uh, that challenges popular views of history. So, for example, Terry Jones' Medieval Lives, um, which he received an Emmy nomination for, for Outstanding Writing for non-fiction program. Um, it argues that the Middle Ages was a more sophisticated period than is popular, popularly thought. So, like, he just oh. he would sort of go against the the grain and, and make a whole show about it, which is kind of cute. I like that. Tell me he's not a Holocaust denier. He didn't do a Holocaust denial special, did he? <laughs> no. Good. We, uh, we move over to the other Terry, Terry Gilliam. The only Python not born in Britain, he became a naturalised British citizen in 1968 and formally renounced his American citizenship in 2006. Really? Which you totally would do, right? 
Uh, not uh, yeah, not when you like working in Hollywood. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, could, did he have to? Uh, well, well, I mean, he was a British citizen since 1968. Yeah, exactly. It's like 34, it's 34 years old. You can be a dual citizen. He was a dual citizen for a long time. So I wonder why, yeah. Don't know why he was. Because I know, like, um, Rupert Murdoch did because he had to, because if he was an Australian, if he couldn't own so much media in America if, if he, he was, was a dual citizen. Yeah, okay. Um, I've written down his kids' names just because they have great names. So he's oh. Xylophone. Amy Rainbow. That's pretty. Is good. that like one word? No, Amy Rainbow. Amy Rainbow. Um, and then his son is Harry Thunder. Oh, that's and there's cool. one that's just Holly. It's not as funny, but Holly, Harry Thunder. Holly precipitation. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> it's so patronising when yeah, I say that, that isn't is, it? But I don't. Mean uh, it. I mean, only when you pat me on the head as you say well, it. Well, you're just so cute. Um, Stop it. Eric Idle uh, wrote. And, and put on Spamalot, which was based on, as we were saying before, based on Holy Grail. It opened in Chicago and has since played in New York, on Broadway, London, and numerous other major cities across the world. Melbourne, Australia. It definitely did. Oh, did it? Cool. It was nominated for 14 Tony Awards. That's a lot. 14 is a lot of awards. That's a lot of Tony. It won three, so Best Musical, Best Direction, and Best Performance by a Featured Actress. I imagine the Best Musical is the main one. Um, and then finally, it brings us to Graham Chapman. Who uh, he completed his studies and was a registered doctor. I do remember hearing at some point that he was the doctor on set for Life of Brian, which I quite like. Well, one way to cut, you know, um, yeah, cut a cost there. Cost there. Mm. Um, so by the time Monty Python went on tour in 1973, his drinking had begun to affect his performance, and he was missing cues on stage. He was forgetting lines. Um, but by the time uh, it, he stopped drinking in Christmas of 1977. Um, concerned that he wouldn't be able to act properly in Life of Brian and remained sober for the rest of his life. Oh, great. So yeah. he Because um, he was the lead role in Life of Brian and yeah. um, Holy Grail. Yeah. I remember hearing that they thought he was the best actor. That's why they yeah, put exactly, him in those yeah. roles. But they said he was the best actor oh, of all I, of them. I, thought that, I imagined that he just kept drinking and that's why... So did I. I thought that was just a, a problem throughout his whole life, but he apparently stopped and, and didn't drink again. How did he die? He... Um, uh, he had throat cancer. Oh, he, um, so he was diagnosed with the throat cancer in 1989, and apparently John Cleese, Michael Palin, Peter Cook, and Chapman's partner, um, David Sherlock, were all there when he died, when he passed away. They were all there. Um, and his death actually occurred the day before the 20th anniversary of their of Flying Circus. Mm. Um, so the day before the 20th anniversary, and Terry Jones said it was the worst case of party pooping in all history. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> he died just before. Now, the um, the five surviving Python members decided to stay away from his private funeral because uh, it was just going to become a media circus. Yeah. So they sort of stayed away and gave his family some privacy. But they did send a wreath in the shape of the famous Python foot with the <laughs> message, to Graham from the other Pythons with all our love, P.S. Stop, stop us if we're getting too silly, mm. which I really <laughs> Oh, man, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, a private memorial service for him was held um, two months later. Um, John Cleese delivered a memorable eulogy to Chapman with a shock humour that he believed Chapman would have wanted. Later became the first person at a televised British memorial service to say fuck. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> Which a I record. Love. I good. love that. Yep. Um, so what he said in his eulogy, he said... I've got a quote here. I guess we're all thinking how sad it is that a man of such talent, of such capability for kindness, of such unusual intelligence, should now so suddenly be spirited away. 
Well, I feel that I should say, nonsense. Good riddance to him, the freeloading bastard. I hope he fries. <laughs> and, like, the whole church was just pissing themselves laughing. It was so funny. Um, and Michael Palin delivered a eulogy as well. They all did, actually. It seems like most of them actually um, got up and said something. Um, but uh, Palin said Chapman had decided to die rather than listen to Palin once again. And Idol also led the other surviving Pythons and Chapman's close friends and family in a, redi- in a rendition of Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. Um, and he closed it by saying, I'd just like to be the last person at this meeting to say fuck. <laughs> um, I do have a, a few fun facts to finish off with, yes, if I may. That would be so good. You sound really enthused. I am so enthused. Oh. I am. Thank you, Dave. I'm you that keen. Wait, I am so, and I'm even more enthused. I don't think so. I'd like to top your enthusiasm with this enthusiasm. Okay, well, nice try, but I don't think it is quite as enthusiastic as I'm feeling right now. Well, what have I told you that just before I was at 50% enthusiasm, and now I'm at 85% enthusiasm? 85%? That's not bad, but my pie is bigger than yours, and I'm giving you 93% of my bigger pie. Well, 100% of my smaller pie, in fact, is a larger circumference than your pie. (laughs) Seems like you've got me there, but oh no, I found another level, and bloody hell, I am pumped. Fun fact number one. Um, The Holy Grail was filmed on location in rural areas of Scotland with a budget of only £229,000. The money was raised in part with investments from rock groups such as Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. (laughs) Oh, wow. I think that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Neither did I. That is a fun fact. They had some cool friends. They did have some cool friends. And cool fans, I'll say, too. Yeah. I'm sure they just appreciated their work. Mm. Um, on St. George's Day on the 23rd of April 2007, the cast and creators of Spamalot gathered in Trafalgar Square um, under the tutelage of the two Terrys and set a new record for the world's largest coconut orchestra. <laughs> they, how, how many members? 5,567 oh, people, clip-clopping in time to the Python classic Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. Wow. For a Guinness World Record attempt. It says attempt, so I don't even know if they did it. Do you think that we could beat that? I, how no. many Is our listenership big enough for that yet? No. Oh, what, not to quite. get all in one place? Definitely yeah. not. We'd have to fly them here. Um, there are seven asteroids named after Monty Python. So one for each of them and one just called Monty Python. So I think that's pretty cool. They've all got an asteroid named after them. That's that great. Is, wow. How cool is that? So there's a... A, a John Cleese. There's a Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Eric Geidel, Michael Pat. They've got numbers John, in front John of them. Cleese, have you, you keeping track of what he's got? He's got a lemur, he's got a pile of rubbish, rubbish. and yeah. an, an asteroid. asteroid. He's doing all right. It's no airport like Edmund Hillary, but something. Hmm. <laughs> Edmund Cle- Hillary also has a mountain on a... On Pluto. Pluto. On a Pluto. Mountain range. It's not even just a mountain, it's a mountain range. The, the John Cleese International Airport. I think it could yeah. happen in his I think lifetime. It rings, it rings a couple of bells. Um... Uh, only a couple more. So in 2001, John Cleese was cast in the comedy Rat Race. Do you ever see Rat Race? Yes, with uh, Rowan Atkinson. Yeah. I not see it, but I've Wh- heard Whoopi it's... Goldberg. And he played the eccentric hotel owner, Donald P. Sinclair. Do you recognise that name at all? Donald Sinclair. It was the name of the hotel owner oh, who he great. based Bazzy oh. Fal- Basil Fawlty on. Bazzy Fawlty. Bazzy Fawlty. How cool is that? That's that great. is. I did not know. I couldn't even remember. Well done. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty really cool. Fun. All right, I've got two more. Michael Palin... A pit, had a small cameo role in Home and Away. 
What? Michael Palin was on Home and Away. What did he say or do? He played an English surfer, which, I mean, totally, he looks like a gnarly dude. This is recently, by the way. Um, uh, he, he has a fear of sharks and he interrupts the conversation between two main characters to ask whether there are any sharks in the sea. And yes, I found it on YouTube. And yes, I will tweet it. Great. Oh, and, and it's Are horrendous. there any sharks in the sea? No. Carry on then. Hmm? And the last one I have, it's not probably not particularly funny for the last one to end on, but inside the Globe Theatre, there are commemorative stones to mark donors to the theatre. And Michael Palin has his own stone, but it, uh, his own stone, but it's misspelt as Michael Palin, um, so two L's. And the story goes that John Cleese paid for the stone and insisted on misspelling his name as a joke. <laughs> Gentlemen, that was, that was my report on Monty Python that was hastily put together last night. Well, I enjoyed your Monty Python report. Thank yeah. you. And I feel like going home and watching my favourite, Holy Grail, because, oh, man, every sketch in that movie makes me laugh so much. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for the report, Jess. Um, if you guys out there want to get in contact with us or suggest a topic, you can get in contact. Our hat that we're pulling topics out of is uh, getting bigger and bigger by the minute. Or by the by the week, by the week, we'll say that. And you can tweet us at dogoonpod or dogoonpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll be back with a brand new report next week. And until then, enjoy yourself. <laughs> what? I love you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.